Alright, what's going on everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. Before we start into today's episode, I have a quick question for you. Raise your hand if you are listening and you are a founder or you are a founder type or working on side projects. Now, if you're if you're driving, please don't raise your hand. But if you're thinking that's me, chances are you might have a co-founder and in today's world, everything's remote. And this is unfortunate for founding teams because teams work fastest when they're together, right? When you're starting something new from scratch, being in the same room has a magical kind of feeling to it. And when we're all remote, you don't really get the same thing. Well, what if I told you there's a way to get that same output, right? Get that same feeling while being remote. And luckily there is. Uh, our sponsor for the next couple of weeks for Forward Thinking Founders is Sidekick. And Sidekick is an always-on display that sits next to you, next to your computer. It allows you to work right next to your co-founder like you were in the same room. This eliminates most of the problems that you kind of get when founding a startup remotely. And you're able to move faster and, and, and kind of get stuff done in a much more efficient way like you could with if you were in the same room. And luckily, because you're a listener of Forward Thinking Founders, you get a big discount on on Sidekick devices. If you go to sidekick.video slash FTF, you get $30 off. The market rate is $50 per device. As a listener of this podcast, it is $20 per device. $30 off total per device. So go to sidekick.video slash FTF, get your devices, and get you and your co-founders working together like you're in the same room, even if you're remote. Hope you enjoy it. What is going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. I am very grateful to have your attention, at least for the next 15 minutes of this episode. Forward Thinking Founders is a podcast where I interview pre-seed and seed stage founders about their products, what they want to build into the world, and why. We dive into how they spend their time, what's their vision, what's the origin of stories, all these things, so you can learn all about what's coming tomorrow. Because these companies haven't hit critical scale yet. Most of them haven't hit product market fit. These are just early stage companies, and the big question is, what can this be? And in this podcast, we bring that out. So with that, I really hope you enjoy your time listening to today's episode. And I've already done 200 plus, so if you like this one, listen to some of the other ones, like with Imadi Kuhn, Austin Allred, Leah Culver. We have great interviews, so check it out. Enjoy the repository, and for now, let's get into today's episode. Here we go. All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we talk to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Charles Wong, who's a co-founder of Bifrost. Welcome to the show. How's it going? It's pretty good. Pretty good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. It's been a super busy day, and I am just kind of looking forward to learning more about what you're doing, and we're here. We're, we're talking about Bifrost, which I'm stoked about. For people that don't know what Bifrost is or what you're working on, what are you doing? What's Bifrost? Yeah, Bifrost is, uh, we, what we do is we make synthetic data for AI teams. One of the biggest problems in AI development is a lack of good quality labeled data. And so one of the solutions that we've come up with is synthetic data. And to us, synthetic data is artificial data that's created rather than collected from cameras and sensors and things. And the way we do that is using 3D graphics. You construct a virtual environment, you jump in with a virtual camera, you take pictures, and those pictures are a one-to-one replacement for the real data that you collect on the street with cameras and, and things like that. So, wow, that's, I mean, it's 
definitely a lot to unpack here. I think to start, before we go into how it works and, like, who uses it and stuff, let's kind of start with, like, why do you – what's the origin story for this? Why did you decide to work on this specific company? Yeah, I mean, I met my co-founder in freshman year of college. Um, I've been partners in crime ever since, hackathons, traveling the world, this and that. Um, and in 2017, we took a gap year. I went to work at a self-driving car company, and my co-founder worked at a computer vision company where he developed um, algorithms that outperformed Google for medical sort of um, diabetic detection. Um, I think, you know, in that process, one of the things that really stood out to us was how broken is a strong word, but how, how much, how the promise of AI hasn't really panned out where, you know, AI is supposed to be working for us, but we've ended up working for AI instead. Every time you build an AI model, you need tens of thousands of images to fuel that model. And those tens of thousands of images don't just, be, you know, don't just materialize out of thin air. Somebody has to collect them. Somebody has to label them, like literally draw boxes on those images, sitting at a desk drawing boxes. Um, and then and only then can you siphon all those images into an AI model and then you can train it. Um, that's obviously incredibly labor intensive, incredibly time consuming. And so we felt like there had to be a better way. So that's, that's why we started by first. And let's say, yeah, that, that makes sense. And that's kind of like the best reason to start a company. Like you feel like you're uniquely qualified to do something yourself. So who would be a type of person or type of company that would use Bifrost? Can you kind of talk about like a user persona that would like that you're currently targeting that would that would be a great user for this for this product? Yeah. So right now we're focused on making visual data sets, so images and videos and stuff. So really, any any engineer who does any kind of computer vision work would would be our ideal customer. Uh, you know, we've we've proven on applications in aerospace and self-driving cars, um, and even retail. Uh, recently, we we demoed um, synthetic data for an unmanned retail application to a major uh, food and beverage manufacturer. So really, our ideal customer are those poor computer computer vision engineers sitting there labeling data when they really should be working on the next uh, next innovation in, in machine learning. So how does it, uh, if you're able to go into it, I, we don't have to go into like the special sauce or anything, but Kind of like how, how does it work? Like you, on your on your website, you have why is um, like why is our data better? You've listed speed, fidelity, variance. Like how have you been able to do this? Um, or I guess like I don't know. Like what I would love to learn a little more about how it works. If you're open to sharing, sure, sure, yeah, no. So so imagine so let's say you know Matt, you and I, we wanted to build an AI model to detect I don't know traffic cones, right? Using uh, detect traffic cones from a from a video feed what would we do? The first thing we do is get out there um, and take lots of pictures and take lots of videos of traffic cones we find on the street. Um, as you can imagine, that would take quite a long time. And you know, even after all that entire process, um, we'd wind up with a data set that is very contextualized to the US and contextualized to Singapore, right? If we train an AI model using all those images and we brought that AI model to, I don't know, China, or Tokyo or something, the model would fail uh, because it's been trained on data that's been contextualized and has all these features that, that match a certain geographical location. So not only is, um, so your, your, the data is constrained, it's not diverse, and we took a long time to get it. Um, with synthetic data, basically what we're using, so, you know, 
it's really, the underlying technology is the same 3D graphic stuff you use for video games and movies, right? We're just really focused on um, building virtual environments that model reality. We can put in 10,000 traffic cones in various scenarios. We can contextualize them to Dubai, Tokyo, New York, anywhere in the world. And because we're doing it on a PC, we're doing it sort of virtually, uh, it's very trivial for us to, to sort of um, generate tens of thousands of different images in different locations and different contexts, uh, all without having to leave the office, really. So for us, uh, we did a benchmark where we took, um, where we tried to detect drones, detect UAVs um, from, cam from images. And it took us a couple of months to put together a data set train it and train the AI model and, you know, actually do the detection. Whereas with Biofrost, we were able to do all of that in less than four hours. So side-by-side -side comparison there. And the, to obviously, I mean, you mentioned you have a co-founder, you might have more people on your team, not, not sure, but like there's a lot of ground to cover here. Like you, you have your technology and then you have your, like, you know, getting it in the hands of users, there's fundraising. There's all these different things that you like might be spending your time on. I'm curious, like for you, what's your focus? What, what do you spend your time on during the day? Well, right now we're part of the Techstars Space Accelerator, uh, working with partners like NASA JPL, the USFS, Lockheed Martin. Um, as, as with any accelerator, the focus is really customer development, getting customers in the door, getting traction and making sure your product is good enough to serve those customers. So for us, it's all about the user. Um, the past three months has really been a journey for us, um, really refining what vertical we wanted to tackle and which customers and users we wanted to talk to and, you know, what they really wanted. Um, right now, we're really excited about geospatial analytics or satellite imagery uh, and being able to derive insights from those, things like the ability to detect, to detect wildfires, uh, the ability to detect illegal vessels at sea and other things like that. And like, since you, so you mentioned that you were in, in Techstars, which is extremely exciting and congrats on getting in. I'm curious, like, what has been that experience like for you and how has getting into Techstars changed how you thought about your company, changed about what activities you spend your time on, about fundraising, kind of what, what has Techstars done for you in that way? You know, I'd say that Techstars has brought a new level of focus for us. It's very easy, you know, like you mentioned that like, a thousand and one things that could be demanding your attention as a founder. And Techstars, you know, forced, because there's so much input, so much output, you're forced to be really selective about what you do. Um, that focus, that time management is I think one of the main draws um, of being in an accelerator program. Obviously Techstars offers, um, you know, access to mentors, to customers, to industry, to investors and things like that. Uh, and that's, I think, uh, extremely valuable. But for us as a company, what's really changed for us is the level of focus and the direction that we're headed in. There's this like quote from Steve Jobs. It's like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, Bill Gates in separate times, someone asked them like, what's the most important thing in business? And at separate times, they both just said the same thing, focus, which is, um, yeah, which is super key. How do you spend time making sure you're staying focused on what you're building and not getting distracted as well, but, but at the same time being opportunistic, I guess, how do you balance the two as a founder of an early stage company? Yeah, um, so you're always being pulled in you know, thousand and one different directions. I think, you know, 
And I know this is a bit cliche, but time really is the most valuable resource you have. And so the way I look at my calendar is, um, so, we, so we, what, we, what we do is that we have weekly OKRs, right? Every week we have one or two clear objectives that we have to hit. Um, and sometimes, you know, the OKRs and what's already on our calendar don't match. Maybe I have really, really, I have 10 really exciting meetings with customers, but my OKR that week is to submit um, a proposal for, 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 for another customer that we've been chasing for months. Um, and I have to find time to, to, to hit that OKR. So I have to be very intentional with the way I plan my calendar. Um, for me right now, a big chunk of my sort of Mondays and Wednesdays, I, I just sweep it off and say, this is OKR time and nobody can book me for meetings, not internal, not external. Um, I have to, that time has to be dedicated to one thing and one thing only, which is working towards the OKRs. Um, it's something that we've, we've struggled with in the past. Uh, like you said, opportunistic, right? Every time uh, uh, an enticing email comes in, someone inquiring about the product, an interesting uh, potential partner, it's very easy to fall head over heels and start replying to them and starting a conversation, but you have to control yourself and, and really focus on what matters. Yeah, that it's like, it's almost the same thing with fundraising too. It's like if you, you picked a, you know, amount, let's say you want to raise or, you know, let's say you want to do a pre-seed and then all of a sudden like Andrews and Horowitz is like, Oh, or probably a bad example, but like just something <laughs> out of left field is like, Oh, like we'll, we'll get involved and it, it forces you to like, potentially totally change strategies or change focus. It's your job as the founder, you know, to just like stay the course. That's kind of like the main, the biggest job is stay the course and make sure that course is aligned with like the right market. Exactly. I mean, but you know, to your point about being opportunistic as well, it's, you know, I, it's about, it's about having strong opinions about where you should be going, but also have those opinions be a bit loosely held, right? If you, if you have a direction in mind, make sure it's well-researched, it's backed by evidence and you're very confident in it. But if something else, but it's like the scientific method, right? If new evidence appears and it's, and it's superior and more convincing than the previous evidence, um, it behooves you to then follow that new path. If, for example, like the example you mentioned, suddenly an Andreessen Horowitz showed up and um, thinking five years ahead, would, that, would pursuing that deal make the company X percent um, better five years from now? And if the answer is yes, then sure, take the opportunity now. How do you how do you think about it? Like, like so, Andreessen and Horowitz is an easy easy example because it's Andreessen and Horowitz, and I, that was I don't like, I feel like I I could have used something better. Like how do you like? Let's say I don't know, I don't want to like put down any firm or anything, but let's just say like a part a potential partner comes into your inbox and like oh we're thinking about a big partnership you know it might be a lot of revenue. How do you kind of size up an opportunity to know if it's like worth being opportunistic about? versus, oh, like, appreciate you reaching out, you know, not interested. Is there like a filter that you have in your head for that? Mm, I think right now the filter for us is pretty industry specific, both from, a, from, both from an engineering and a, and a sort of business perspective, we have to niche down and focus and choose our initial target market, right? Which is why we're really, really focused on geospatial right now. Yes, there are fantastic opportunities from say a big partner, in, re in, in, in another sort of vertical comes along and says, hey, we'd like to do this big deal. We have to, uh, it's not an immediate no. We have to sort of look at it very carefully and determine if it's, if the distraction is worth it. Uh, but ultimately, you know, 
we have to think ahead, right? Is this going to lead on to, is this going to follow on to more business? Is this going to, are we, if, if we do the solution for this one customer, can we very easily scale it to 10 other customers in the same domain? Um, so we're always thinking about that. For me personally, if it's, if like you say, it's, it's, a, it's a good partnership, potentially lucrative partnership, potentially very strategic partnership, I have no problem taking an intro call. They only take half an hour. And if I can find time in the calendar, so be it. But um, doing further business development, coming up with a proposal and a pitch deck and working with them, that's something that uh, we have to be more intentional about. And I have no problems um, having the buck stop with me and stopping the whole deal from moving on if, if, if necessary. And like, that's kind of like, let's look at long-term for a second. So I, that's how you kind of, you're evaluating the, these opportunities for the like long-term advantage. So like, if you looked out 10 years or 20 years, what could this company look like then? Or I guess in other words, what's the big vision for what, for what you're building? Yeah. You know, I think I'd love, so, you know, we see Bifrost as a developer tool, right? We want AI engineers to, or AI developers to think of Bifrost as the choice when they're coming up with, when they're starting to prototype a new AI model. Right now, the state of the art of finding data for your, uh, for your AI model is to aimlessly Google around until you find something in the open source, uh, the open source market, right? I'd love for a place where that composi the conversation you have with your fellow developers, uh, hey, I'm having so much trouble finding this data set. And then your counterpart says, yeah, why don't you just bifrost it? It's, it's really easy to do. I'd love for, for Bifrost to be an, an adjective and a household name. But maybe the larger play here um, is beyond the current paradigm of AI. So, you know, like earlier we spoke about how AI works today. You go out, you get tens of thousands of images, you stuff it into an AI model, you train it, and then hopefully the AI model is able to tell the difference between a cat and a traffic cone. Um, that's called supervised learning. But if we're talking about the next step, you know, we're talking about unsupervised learning or reinforcement learning. So maybe you've, you've, you've chanced upon the, um, the uh, open, AI's, um, open AI's bot, which the Dota, Dota playing bot, which defeated world champions, right? Or the chess beating one or the Go beating one. Um, all, those, um, all those models were trained using reinforcement learning. And reinforcement learning, reinforcement learning just means putting the AI into a sandbox environment and letting it play with itself until uh, it reaches a point where it beats world champions. Um, that obviously works really well in games, right? Because there are predefined rules. The sandbox environment is predefined. Um, but what about real life? You know, how can, we, how can we apply that to real life, which is unstructured, it's messy, there are no predefined rules, and it's really hard to build virtual worlds that model reality accurately? Like what's the most... Um, one of the most accurate reality, sorry, accurate representations of reality for a video game right now. Something like Grand Theft Auto, right? A, a really cool representation of Los Angeles. But that representation took several years and hundreds of developers to build. Um, that doesn't sound like a very scalable way to build environments to train reinforcement learning, to train AI. So really, um, how can you, how can we create environments scalably? So we're setting the seeds today. You know, when we build 3D environments to go in and take virtual pictures, the, the, the party piece is really generating the 3D environments. And if we can then begin to do that more generalizably, doing it more at scale, suddenly 
uh, we're no longer an image data set company, we're an environment, a 3D environment company. Uh, and that's pretty exciting. In the future, I, you know, the future, the future currency of AI won't be data anymore. Future currency will be environments. And that's sort of where I see us going. And to make that happen, I mean, obviously there's a lot that needs to be done uh, in order to like make that vision a reality. Um, you like, you'll need maybe some employees, you might need uh, investors, obviously people using this, but you'll, what you'll definitely need is help from the forward thinking founders community. So for my, my last question for you is how can the, the forward thinking founders community help with what you're working on? Is there a ask that you have, whether you're hiring, looking for users, fundraising that someone listening might be able to help out with? Yeah, we're putting together a round soon and we're getting, uh, we're getting ready to go into hiring mode towards the end of the year. For me right now, I want to hire the best engineers I can find. Uh, it doesn't matter if they don't have a specialization in 3D graphics or they don't have a specialization in machine learning. I just want the best engineers who can learn fast. So if I'm asking anything at all, is if you have any, any engineers out there who want to work on building the future of environment generation and AI, please get in touch. And then if someone wanted to get in touch or they wanted to uh, um, learn more about you or your company, what is the URL that they can find you at? Are you on Twitter? What's your email? How can people get in touch? Yeah, I'm on, uh, the easiest way to find us is on, it's at bifrost.ai. Um, I'm at charles at bifrost.ai. And on Twitter, I am uh, charleswongzx. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of Forward Thinking Founders. If you want more of Forward Thinking, I'm excited to let you know that we now have a community. Well, it's not really a community. It's more of a city. It's called Forward Thinking City. And in Forward Thinking City, you're able to do AMAs with past guests that have been on the podcast. For example, today we just talked to Jonathan Barkle, who's the CEO of Air Garage. Um, additionally, we have the CEO of Catch, Kristen Anderson. We have Austin Allred, the CEO of Lambda School coming in. And these are people that you can talk with, right? You can ask them questions. These are AMAs. Additionally, you're able to do happy hours with other residents once a week so you can meet other people, learn about their startups. You also have a chance to do startup office hours and get feedback on your, on your startup or your product, as well as get a chance to pitch actual investors, real VCs. And this is all only for $7 a month. So if you want to support me as a creator, but more importantly, if you want to move your startup career forward and faster and get you access to guests on the podcast, other people in the city, and potential investors, then go to forwardthinking.city and sign up today for $7 a month. That's forwardthinking.city. All right, see you tomorrow.